hello, hello, and welcome to episode 49 of the Missing Pillar of Health podcast. Today, I have a conversation with Allison Villa, and I invited her onto the show to talk about something that is a little bit different. And this is because one of the most common hurdles I hear from people in my community is that while they want to reduce toxins at home and they want to prioritize their health and prevention, their partners just aren't on board. And this challenge can be what makes or breaks their efforts to reduce toxins. And it can cause stress both individually and as a couple. And I have talked about understanding how to have better conversations with your partner in previous podcasts and on the blog, and I will link to those in the show notes. But sometimes there's a deeper relationship issue going on, and I am not a relationship coach. And so I wanted to bring in an expert. Allison Villa is a psychotherapist, relationship expert, creator of the Four Relationship Seasons, and host of the Couplehood podcast. Her honest approach to parents in love has impacted couples and families worldwide. Allison's mission is to build a movement of parents in love because how you love each other today will love on through your kids and in generations to come. As a wife and mother, she understands how raising a family affects the romantic relationship and the challenges that modern parents face. With Allison's virtual therapy practice and online offerings, this keeping it real mama combines her personal and professional experience to teach busy couples how to stay connected, to have clear communication, and to build an intentional life for their family. Allison has been featured on numerous podcasts, blogs, and media outlets, and I am thrilled to have her join the conversation today. We break down the four relationship seasons. We talk about some of the things that can cause relationships to erode and what you can do to work on it. And when it comes to toxins and change and money, we go through some practical strategies and get her take as a relationship expert on the matter. So I hope you find this conversation helpful. I can't wait for you to listen. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. 
And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. Allison, it is so great to have you here. Thank you for being on the show today and welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm really excited for our conversation. Before we dive in, I would love to hear and for my audience to hear your story that ended up with a family trip for a year and a half relocation to, was it Mexico? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So can you, can you talk a little bit about you and what you do and your own marital breakdown to breakthrough? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's where my mission to focus on the parents and love movement was born out of my own personal experience. So in about 2017, my husband and I, our, our girls were three and five years old at that time. And we were in the weeds of parenting, of family life, trying to do all the things, divide and conquer. And I had my own breakdown, I call it. But what I realize now when I look back is that it was such a breakthrough, a personal breakthrough. And whenever we have these these moments in our lives, whatever they are for each person, they can feel really scary. And so for me at that time, I felt like my husband and I were a great team and really good at passing the baton, right? I would be home with the kids all day. He would be at the nine to five job. He would come home. We would switch over and I would go see my psychotherapy clients in the evening. And what I realized during that time, because we had done it probably for about five years at that point, was that I really... I was doing all the things that I was supposed to do. You know, we, we were married. We had the house. We had the kids. We had the, the stable job. All of these things that we thought were like, yes, we're doing the things and, and life's going to be smooth sailing now. And the reality was that I felt really empty and I was not feeling a lot of joy in my day to day life because I missed my husband. You know, we were these passing ships in the night. And even though there was a lot of love and respect between us, there really wasn't time for us to connect and also to really look at like, oh, wait, what are we doing? And is this how we wanted it to go? And is this how we wanted it to feel? And so I went inwards and was asking myself those questions and realized, nope, this isn't feeling good for me. And and then I had this thought, oh, my gosh, like if I share this with my husband, then I'm not happy with this lifestyle that we've created very intentionally. And oh, my gosh, if I bring this to him, what's that going to mean about our marriage? Like, could this be the end of our marriage if I speak my truth and speak what I'm feeling? And I know from working with so many couples that a lot of people get to that similar place. Maybe not the exact thing that I'm describing, but we all have our own like internal crossroads, so to speak. And and that was mine. And it felt really scary. And I brought it to my husband. And initially he's like, well, I am happy. I am happy with this life with that we've created. And, and I was like, Oh, because in my head, I thought if he's happy with this, then I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to move forward together. But I also had this internal knowing that that's okay. You know, if we're not meant to move forward together, then it's okay that we move forward apart because I knew that we're both individuals and we both individually need to be happy. And that's what our kids need as well. So anyway, so we ended up having this big talk and our talk, we kept talking night after night, probably for months about, okay, well, if you're happy with this, but I'm not happy, what does that mean? And what was interesting is that as soon as I came into my truth and sharing my truth with him, it gave him permission to go inwards as well to ask, oh yeah, am I actually happy? Like, I think I'm happy. But then he was able to think, oh, wow, I've been working this nine to five job with the benefits and all those great things that we've worked so hard to to get. 
But he was saying, I actually really miss our girls. Like our girls were three and five. And he was feeling like he was missing these very precious early years. And he allowed himself to go inwards to ask himself the hard questions because often we don't want to do that. It's really hard to ask those big questions. Like, and scary. It's scary because you don't really know what answers are going to come up. Exactly. So it's scary for, for all of us. And I think when one person, this is usually how it goes in relationships, is that one person brings up something and might be scared about bringing it up. But when one person does it, it allows the other person to do that same exploration and gives them permission. And when you are both living your truth and being authentic to yourselves, guess what? Your relationship and your life just becomes so much more intentional, aligned and connected. So that's what happened for us. So it ended up being this breakdown moment of like, oh my gosh, are we even going to continue as a couple? And what ended up happening, we had lots of conversation, obviously unpacked so much stuff. We got really clear on our values and we realized, okay, what's important for us right now is how we spend our day-to-day life. And we want more time together as a couple. And we want more time together with the four of us. Because like I said, there was a lot of divide and conquering happening. And that was when we said, okay, I think we need a reset button. And let's let's try and take a family sabbatical. Like what even is that? Take four months completely off of work and really just focus on each other. And living in Toronto, we were like, well, that's not possible with the cost of living to just pause on our income. We weren't in that place to be able to do that. And so we thought, okay, like, what could we do? How could we make this happen? Anyways, the long, so the short of the long story is that we ended up taking a four month family sabbatical to Mexico. We rented out our house in Toronto to make that possible. And then while we were in Mexico, we realized, oh my gosh, this is, we need more of this. Our kids were being exposed to Spanish. We were, you know, unlearning a lot of like beliefs that we were realizing, oh man, these aren't serving us anymore. And so when you go through something big like that, you don't want to just push pause on that growth. You want to keep going further into that. So we decided after four months, we were like, we're going to come back. We're going to do this for a whole year. So we flew back home to Toronto after that four month, you know, life changing experience. And then we drove our car from Toronto all the way to Mexico so that we could, yeah, live there for a whole year. Our kids were in a fully Spanish Waldorf school. We worked online. It was obviously even more of a life-changing experience. So when you go through breakdowns, like they lead to breakthroughs. So that is our story. And that's why I feel so passionately about allowing parents to focus on themselves and on their relationship and what makes them feel good in the world, because it is such a gift to your kids. Like our kids are so like now they're they're really adaptable and adjustable. And I mean, they speak Spanish now too. Like all these amazing things happened because we went inwards to our own needs as as individuals first outside of parents. I love it. That's so fascinating. And I remember actually when you, because we used to be in the same like entrepreneur circle. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you had kind of announced that you were doing this and I was like, Whoa, that's so bold. I don't think that I could, I don't think I could do it, but good for you. Sounds awesome. (laughs) So it's been, it's been kind of fun to kind of from a distance, see your, see your journey, but I didn't know all of those details. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Can you walk us through what you call the four relationship seasons? What are they? Absolutely. So as, as a psychotherapist and specializing in couples, 
And then obviously doing a lot of personal work in my own relationship. Over the years, now working as a therapist for 10 years, I've been noticing the similar patterns that every relationship goes through. And it's interesting because when things are not so great or you're hitting a bump in the road with your partner, the common reaction that people have is that, oh my gosh, we must be doing a bad job or what's wrong with us or maybe this isn't going to work, right? There's a lot of really extreme, whenever we have feelings, like we have, we have the feelings and then we have our feelings about the feelings, like we judge our own feelings, right? And so I thought, oh my goodness, if only I could find a way to take that judgment out of the natural progressions that every relationship goes through. So for example, when we have kids, right? Obviously that changes your romantic relationship and it's not spoken about. It isn't normalized in the way that it needs to be. You are literally being reborn as new people when you become parents. I did not understand. So my parents are both still together and my husband's parents are both still together. And so divorce wasn't in my world. Most of my friends had divorced parents, so I knew that it was a thing, but Mm -hmm. I didn't personally understand it until we had our first child. And Mm -hmm. in that first year, I was like, oh, I understand nothing against my husband, but just I now under like it all of a sudden became so much harder. I was like, oh, this is I, I get divorced now. This is this is why it happens. Yes. And there are so many reasons for it, but like there are certain things that just, it just became so much more clear. Right. So coming from a background where, you know, both of your parents are together and knowing that somewhere out there, you like sometimes people don't stay together. And then to have your lived experience, re- like, whoa, now I get it. Sometimes it's really hard. And how do you move through the hard? And what does that mean about us? And what, are, you know, there's so much that comes with that. And every relationship goes through that because it's normal. Life happens. Life throws us curveballs. You know, we, we're always constantly changing and growing as people. And so, yeah, of course, we're going to have those moments. Absolutely. And I always say it's how you move through the challenges in your relationship that determine your resilience as a couple. We are going to go through hard things and that can really bring us closer as a couple. So the four relationship seasons are coping, coasting, connected, and confident. And so what you were just describing, Emma, in that first year of parenthood, that's the coping season. And in that coping season, there's often an external factor or multiple external factors that literally pull all your time and energy and resources. So having a baby, I mean, we all know how much energy that takes. Anyways, it takes so much from us and we are all finite. We only have so much time and energy. So it doesn't mean that you have less love for your partner. It really means that you don't have a lot of extra time to go around during that season of your relationship. Does that make sense? Totally. It's like you've got your energy pie and it's just being cut up into more smaller pieces. Yes, I love that. Energy pie. That's a great way to look at it, right? And sometimes it's not always having a baby. Sometimes it's a move. Sometimes it's a change in job. It could be a loss in the family. It could be a pandemic. A pandemic. I was going to say so many people I think are going, have been going through this for the last almost 18 months. Yes. And when I created the four relationship seasons, the pandemic wasn't even on the list of things. As we were going through it, it's amazing because I have a online membership community that's for parents specifically to keep your couple thriving after having kids. It's called Couple Sandbox. And my members are really fluent in the four relationship seasons. And as we were moving through it, they could all name, they were like, we're in coping right now. 
this pandemic has put us into coping. And what's interesting, when you can name your season, there's less judgment. It's not, oh, we're doing a bad job. It's, oh my gosh, we're living through a pandemic. And of course, this is changing our relationship right now. It really helps to have that perspective because you have a lot more self-compassion and a lot more compassion for your partner when you can name, oh, wow, we are in coping. And when you're in coping, you know, when you know your season, you know exactly the action items to help you within that season. You know, if you're not, if you're in coping, I'm not going to say to you, yeah, you need to go and work on your intimacy right now. Obviously not, right? This is your time. You're like, ooh, this is your time to ask for support, to be receiving and just to stay connected through your talking. That's what you do when you're in coping because that's you're in survival mode. And so when you get through coping, what's next? And you know what I love about this is that often people are like, oh my gosh, there's something after coping. There's something <laughs> out, right? Because, and that's why it's so important to name this, right? You're not going to be in coping forever. You're not, right? So you move from coping into coasting and coasting. I like to think of coasting as, you know, things are pretty good. There's no emergency that's pulling your attention anymore, but you're still kind of recovering from what happened in the coping season and possibly finding your legs again. So if you think about new parenthood, you're like, okay, now we found our rhythm. We get it. We're parents. We're finding our flow. But also, what does our relationship look like now? How, how does that, what does that look like? How do we, how do we have time together when we have a kid who has a lot of needs or two kids or three kids? Like, what does that even look like? So coasting is also finding your flow again after you're recovering from being in the coping season. And coasting can feel pretty okay. I call it the danger zone season because sometimes you can sit in the coasting season for 15 to 20 years. And that's when we see empty nest syndrome, right? Cause you've been coasting along and things are, things are okay but they're not amazing. And often in coasting with families in particular, we're really good at being the team, at being teammates and being amazing parents. But the couple as its own entity has really been put on the shelf. And so that's why empty nest syndrome happens because the kids leave. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what our relationship, like we haven't been nurturing it just on its own. You're so parents, call- you're not a couple. At that point. Exactly. So it's a danger zone season because we don't want you to sit in coasting for too long. And so once you get the boot out of the coasting season, (laughs) where does that land you? Yeah. So once you move through coasting, you're into the connected season. That means that you have like really awesome self-care. You're good at carving out couple time. And now you are getting clarity on your family and relationship vision, which is really fun. A lot of my sandbox members, this is like their favorite time because it's like the planning. You get to be really intentional. You get to dream big and you get to do that together. And when you are aligned on those visions, like for example, my husband and I, when we got aligned on, yeah, we're going to take this family sabbatical and we're working towards that vision together. It's so connecting. It's really empowering as a couple and it builds resilience. When you have clear, like clear, clear vision and you're taking those steps towards that vision. So that's the connected season. So how do you know when you're ready to go from coasting to connected? Cause I could see moving out of the first season, you know, there's, there's some external factor that often puts people in there. Right. And so I can see that you might be working through things and there might be a more natural progression, mm-hmm. but from coasting mm-hmm. into connection how do you know when it's time like what do you go through to help people know that it's time to leave that coasting state and move on to the next yeah so it's it's less about 
you deciding like now we're in, in connected. It's more like, oh, we've been doing these consistent things in the coasting season, for example, like we're helping each other make time for self-care consistently. And as you do that, you realize, oh, now I'm feeling more connected because you're, you're witnessing each other as individuals. You're helping each other to make time, solo time. Like those things make you feel connected when you do them consistently. Okay. So it's less about like, it's more, it's more about asking, how do we move into the next season? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth season. And then the fourth season is the confidence season. So confidence season is you have super consistent self-care couple time. You're already working towards your family and relationship vision. A lot of those things have already come to life. And now you are going really, really deep with your intimacy vision and getting clarity on that. And intimacy is not just your physical intimacy. It's emotional, intellectual, spiritual. It's all of the things. So that's because you have more time and space. Like when you're in that coping season, it's not really the best time to be exploring your intimacy. You don't have the energy for that. And that's what's really neat about moving through the season. You can see the progression. And then you have, again, less judgment on what you are or aren't doing when you're moving to like through all four of the seasons. What I love about the confidence season is that that's also your time to give back, right? In the coping season, it's your time to receive. It's your time to get support from your community. And once you're in the confidence season, you feel really, really confident and have energy and have more time to be giving back. For example, to the people who might be brand new parents right now. Now you're the people who get to deliver the meals and maybe offer some words of wisdom to help normalize their experience. So they're all so connected, which I love. And I can see that this is far from a linear process. Like you would kind of, you may find yourself working through the seasons just organically, but then something happens and you end up back in coping, for example. And I think that's where a lot of us ended up with the pandemic. And so I love the the aspect of just naming that season and knowing that you don't have to act like you are thriving or in that connected state or confident state when really you just need to serve your coping state, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly. It gives you that permission to just like, okay, this is where we are. We don't need to judge ourselves like life is happening and this is where we are in this moment. So when you know you're in coping, you know things that you need to do. This is your time to ask for support. It's your time to keep talking through things with each other. Can and you really make helps. big changes when you're in coping? It sounds like it's kind of the state where as a couple, you're you're reconnecting and starting to get that common language again or shifting things because, you know, before you got to that state, maybe you were doing great because life was simpler or easier or whatever. But there are these seasons, but then life is also happening in the background, right? So Absolutely. when you got to the point, I'm just using you as an example, but when you got to the point of deciding to take your sabbatical, like had, did you have to move through coping first to do that? Yeah, I love that you're you're asking about this because the breakdown moment, that would have been coping, I would say. We were coping. We had been coping probably from three to five years. Mm -hmm. And also that's really, really common with young children. I often say, if you have a child three or under, you are probably in the coping season. 
Like we just need to name that and normalize it. It is part of the journey of life and the, the journey of being parents, right? They, young children need a lot of us and that's the reality. Or if so, you've got children with special needs that probably will go on for longer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so for us, like that breakdown moment, and I would say even the years leading up, that was definitely coping and, and, or we had been in coping for a while. I struggled with postpartum depression after our second daughter was born. And then after I moved through that, we were definitely coasting for a number of years. And I think it was the coasting that didn't feel good. Here's the thing about coasting. Think about a bike, you know, you're riding your bike. And then what happens? Like when you get to the bottom of the hill, you're not pedaling anymore. What happens? Yeah, you'll stop. Yeah. The bike tips over. So I think for me, we had been coasting for so long and that was in the moment where my bike tipped over and I was like, this is not working. It's not working. And so then from there, that prompted really big conversation. And then yes, we moved through connected because connected is like getting clear on your vision. There we were. Okay. What's our vision? Now we're working towards it. That feels really good. And that puts you into the confidence season. And there we are. Oh my gosh. Living in Mexico confident season. And the really cool thing is like whenever you go through the four seasons as a couple, you're able to recognize your own patterns and you're also better equipped. The next time you're in coping, you're like, oh yeah, we're in coping. You know, like I know what we need to do when we're here. These are the things that work for us specifically. It's really empowering. Yeah. In my own life, our big shift was moving out of the city, similar kind of journey as yours. And that was a process that was kind of on again, off again for years, probably. And it, we weren't able to come to the table on the same page until each of us had done some of our own version of self-development before we could actually come together and talk about it. Like there were, you know, it would come up, we would have disagreements about it, and then it would go away. And it was just this process for it. I I mean, my husband wanted to leave the city, I think, for 10 years, but the actual like active on again, off again conversations were were probably a couple of years, but we couldn't get to that point until, or I couldn't, until our children were a little bit older as well. And so, yeah, there's so many different things that come into play, right? Mm-hmm. And so would you say in those conversations, like every couple has different timelines. I'd love to talk about that. But just getting back to your story is, could you feel like looking back on that? Can you reflect on, oh yeah, maybe that was us being in coasting the back and forth. And when you started to do your move, did you feel connected? And and like once your vision was clear and you were both on that same page, would you say that was a connected season for you? Yes, but it was very short-lived because our move was so like our decision was made very quickly. And then Eric got a job sooner than we thought he would. And he had to come up here two months before me and the kids did. So it was like, <laughs> maybe we got there, but it did, we didn't have time for it to actually settle in. And so it went, we went back to coping quite quickly because then I was solo with the kids during the week. He would come back on weekends. We sold our house. It was just, oh, wow. it was a, crazy time and then we moved two months before COVID hit in the middle of winter it's been I mean it was a great decision and I'm glad that we made it but it has it has not been an easy process and when I look back on what made us get there I'm like holy crap I'm glad so it was me the I was the reason we didn't move 
sooner, but I just keep saying like, I'm so glad that I came around when I did. I don't know. It's like something was nudging me to push my own things aside. I'm change averse. So it's, it takes me a very long time to come around to things. Yeah. But you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and that's such a beautiful example of life happening, mm-hmm. right? Like you were like, yes, we're on board. I'm on board for this. We're going to move. And then, oh my gosh, like now I'm solo parenting and packing the house and doing all the things, right? Like this is life. And so, yeah, then you go into the coping season, but also it's okay. Of course, that was the coping season. There's not a whole lot of time for your, for your couple at that time. And you know that you're going to move through it. Yeah. And so I'm curious as to some of the common reasons that you see relationships. So other than pandemics and big life experiences, like those are, I think, kind of obvious triggers. Are there other things that you see that kind of causes relationships to shift away? Or maybe it's causes relationships to not be able to come back together once you are in a coping situation for a while? I also want to say before I answer your question is that I am really a huge supporter of not staying together for the kids. You know, Mm -hmm. that idea that it's the best thing for your children for you to stay together. The best thing for your children is for each of you to be happy. And I have seen so many co-parenting relationships that are really healthy and beautiful. So, you know, I just want to say that off the top, right? Your happiness as individuals is the best gift that you can give to your children. If you're able to be happy together as a couple, that is wonderful, but also give yourself permission to, you know, honor your own individual happiness. It's so, it's, it's the most important thing. So saying that, coming back to your question, often there's internal factors as well that can keep a couple in the coping season and then also like lead to people going their separate ways. For example, a breakdown of trust. And when I say a breakdown of trust, people often think unfaithfulness or an affair. There are many other ways where we have little breakdowns of trust in our day-to-day life. And so examples of that are, you know, when you say you're going to do something, you need to follow through on it. Because when actions and words don't meet day after day after day, after month, after year after year, that becomes such an erosion of trust. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yes, it really is. It really is. And that is often these like little tiny breakdowns of trust that just really I see it erode relationships. And it could be the, they seem tiny, but I cannot emphasize enough how those little daily moments and you following through on what you you say you're going to do that's how you build trust in your everyday life. And if you don't have trust, you, it's really hard to have a healthy, thriving relationship. That's really, I think that's key. I think that's, I mean, that's the case with a romantic partner and it's the case with your family and your friends, right? That's really is the foundation. So I'd love to talk about relationships as it relates to the work that I do with clients and, you know, people who start to have goals that may be independent of their partner. So in my world, it's it's mostly women who are in my community and who come to to chat with me and, and work with me. When you have some one partner who has started to develop a goal, so for my audience, it's looking at toxins and, and supporting long-term health, and that journey is often started independent of their partner. 
And then they get to a point of either needing to or feeling like they need to have their partner's full buy-in in order to move forward and make all of the changes that they want to make. And I've talked about this in other um, episodes and on the blog. So I'll link to those in terms of like how best to have conversations and how to kind of understand where your partner is at. I'm curious about your perspective in how partners can kind of come together and either navigate alongside or possibly independent of their partner and how to decide what what process is best for you? This is such a great question. It's such a great question. So I actually also just recorded a podcast about how to get your partner on board with your ideas, which is essentially what you're asking. So people can also link to that. Yes, on my podcast, the couple that podcast. Yeah. But essentially what, what we need to remember is that nobody likes being told what to do. Nobody. Kids don't like being told what to do. And definitely partners do not like being told what to do. We do not want to mother our partners. It's not sexy. It's not sexy. So what we need to do instead is invite them into the conversation, right? I've just been listening to this awesome podcast that I've been listening to. And Emma really talks about something interesting. And I'd love if you listen to it on your walk today. I'm going to share with you. It would mean a lot to me, right? So it's not you saying, hey, there's too many toxins in our in our house. This is what we got to do. No, 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 no. When you want your partner to get on board with your idea, you need it to come from them and you need it to become their idea, right? So I call it planting a seed and it's not, this is not manipulation. Okay. I just want everyone to be clear. This is really, this is how, because like I said, nobody likes being told what to do, right? Think about it. Your own journey with toxins. You came to that in your own time and your partner also will come to that in their own time too. Yes. That is probably the biggest message that I try to get across to people is like, Mm -hmm. you started researching this how many months maybe even years ago, and you expect your partner just like that to jump off with the switch. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work that way, right? No matter how connected you are with your partner Mm -hmm. too. And I think it becomes even, and why I thought it was a great idea to have you on the podcast, because the conversation up until now has been incredibly tangential to my normal topic. But the, I think, foundation of the relationship is key to being able to have even that conversation that you just gave as the example of, hey, I listened to this podcast. I think it would be really great if you could like you need you need your relationship to be at a certain point before you can even have that kind of conversation. Right. Absolutely. Right. Like that foundation of open communication and trust needs to be there first (laughs) before you can right add in these things like, hey, check this out. It's like if you guys aren't in a good place, it's harder to do that. Yeah, I would love your take on couples and finances, because I hear so often from women, they'll message me or when I was having phone calls with people individually, they'd say, oh my gosh, I really need your support. This is something that I know will be a game changer for my family. I really want to work with you. But I spoke to my husband and he doesn't want to spend the money. And I mean, I get it. It's mm-hmm. it needs to be a conversation that, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be comfortable with the decision. But when I have conversations and somebody is so clear on what their goal is and what they want to do and what mm-hmm. they're willing to do for it and then have it automatically shut down because of the money conversation. What's your 
Have you seen this sort of conversation happen in your work and how do you approach it when it comes to money? Because I think people have a very different relationship with money than other decisions. There's a couple layers to this because you're right. The relationship with money is quite emotional. And so when we were talking earlier about how do you get your partner on board with something, it's also emotional. So if you are able to get your partner emotionally invested in the same things as you, then it's a lot easier when it comes to the emotional part of spending money. So it's it's all rooted in the same approach because it is. They are both emotional things. And if spending money is an emotional act, and if if both of you are not, for this example, right, working with you, Emma, or investing in, you know, toxins and really understanding how to make your home toxin-free, all of these really, really important things, If both people are not aligned on that same vision, there we are talking about having that aligned vision yet again, then of course, when it comes down to taking action, because spending money is an action and it's an emotional one, there's going to be resistance around it. Totally. The the way that I will often frame it is, you know, if you haven't done that work up front to have those conversations, to be in alignment and have those common goals, then your partner's decision isn't based on the same information. In their mind, you're spending money. That's it. Full stop. You're just spending money. Whereas for if you, if you know that this is something you want to achieve or accomplish, whatever, like I was using toxins as an example, but whatever the case might be, you are investing in a solution to get a result. Exactly. But if, you haven't had that conversation with your partner. They're just like, well, I'm not going to spend the money, mm-hmm. right? It's no longer, well, I'm not going to prioritize my health or I'm not going to invest in this right now. Like it's a very different, you are no longer comparing apples to apples. You are not having the same conversation, right? It's all about the stories we tell ourselves. So, you know, as parents, what we see and like you and I both, you know, we work with parents, but we don't work on parenting right? We're not giving parenting tactics. You know, I'm helping parents work on their relationship first so they can show up for their kids in the best way and model what a beautiful, healthy, loving relationship looks like. And people often don't know. You don't know what you need until you need it. And so we're both trying to provide something where people can be proactive. And that's a really hard thing to understand. So if you think about parenting, we will jump over the moon to provide things for our kids. We will spend all the money. We will do all the things. And often both parents are really easily able to get on board with those things. But if we approach the story in a different way, like, yes, I want to invest in having a toxic free home because I didn't realize that in five years, my child is going to have some sort of autoimmune condition. And I didn't know that all of those factors that we were doing every single day were, were going to impact that. If you change the story, the emotion changes as well. So there's, it's again, coming back to the emotion and the feeling of, why we do what we do every day. And, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what the outcome of, you know, things are going to be in in our own lives. But that's how, yeah, that's how, that's where the emotion is. Like, how do we get aligned and on the same page about about those big life things where we do want to spend the money proactively? I can't, like, emphasize it enough just about proactive health, whether that's, you know, toxins in your home or your physical well-being or the health of your relationship. It's, of course, it's so much easier to be proactive 
than it is to be reactive when your health is failing or, you know, there's mold in your home and you're having a reaction to that. Or if now you're having couples counseling because there's been a massive breakdown in your relationship, it's way harder to be on the reaction end of things than it is to be on the proactive side. So totally. But it's also harder. I'm, I think a lot of issues also come up with the balance of emotion and logic in arguments. And I, I feel like with the masculine and feminine energies and different ways of processing, mm-hmm. everybody makes decisions differently, right? So do you, we talked a lot about making emotional decisions. Yeah. So how does bringing in kind of more of the left brain logical piece of the conversation play into having conversations with partners who may make decisions differently or, or think differently? I'm I'm pausing because I'm thinking when you said left brain, right brain and masculine and feminine, I'm pausing there because, you know, every person has an element of both within them. Totally. And it's not always, it's not always, always what, you know, men are this way. Well, that's why I was very careful to use like masculine and feminine energy and the left brain, right brain, because I have a lot of, I'm very left brained. As an engineer, I've been kind of trained to be analytical as well, but I'm also quite emotional. But my my decision making is very logical. But I know a lot of people, you know, there's the stereotype that women are emotional and men are logical. But I'm not like I'm. <laughs> and you're a perfect example of of how that's untrue. I love that you're you're naming that. So for me, it's less about the the details of what you're describing and more about coming back to the big picture of like what are your values what are what are your big dreams and your big goals and coming back to alignment on those because it is going to be different for every couple how you listen to each other how you speak to each other how you communicate all of those things that those are the details that that matter i don't know if it's mo- like about the left and right brain i think it's more about we each need to be seen heard and understood by our partner, most especially. Yeah, I like it. I'm wondering if you have recommendations on how to approach conversations that have ended up in disagreements in the past. Because I can, I can see people having kind of the same conversation repeatedly. I've seen it with my community and my clients where similar issues are brought up. And so maybe it's, okay, I've figured out that I need to approach this differently. I need to talk to my partner and help them see that it's a good idea. Let them come around to it. But ultimately, we still need to bring up this issue that has not gone very well in the past. So what kind of tips or strategies do you have for people when they're, they need to bring this issue up again, but doing some of that legwork that we've talked about already? Yeah. So that's a great question. I Because every single relationship has a trigger issue. And I understand like sometimes we just want to tiptoe around it. So what do we do when it needs space? We need to talk about it. And what I suggest is to have a, I call it a pre-rupture agreement. So a pre-breakdown agreement. So you need to, when you guys are in a good place, stress, you're not in a stress response, you're not in an elevated state, things are good. This is when you want to have a conversation about making an agreement in advance that next time we, you know, feel things are getting tense, what can we do differently? What is going to be okay? Because you're not able to make those decisions in the moment, right? You have your reaction, you're in a stress response, so you're not able to know, but you can make that agreement ahead of time. So for example, when 
Like next time this happens, next time like things starting to get tense, this is what I need you to do. I need you to remind me to not take this personally. I'm giving you some like examples of yeah. common ones, right? Yeah. I need you to remind me to not take this personally that I know that you love me and that it's not specifically about me. And I know that it's bringing up, it's making it feel personal for me. And I know it's not really about me, but I need you to remind me in that moment, right? Can you do that for me in that moment? And, and that's where you guys go back and forth and realize, oh, this is our specific agreement that we need to make ahead of the breakdown. Cause guys, we're all going to have breakdowns. It happens in every relationship, totally normal. But you making the agreement in advance helps you to feel safe in those moments. Like, okay, I'm going to remind you that. I don't want you to take this personally. And I know you, you said to me before in our agreement that to not raise my voice and I'm going to work on that. I'm going to not raise my voice. If I feel really elevated, I feel like I need to leave. I'm going to say, I, I need some space. I love you. And we're going to resume this conversation in 15 minutes at this time. This is a really important one because often when things get elevated, people leave, but they leave and that feels like abandonment and avoidance. And so if you ever feel like you're going to leave, you need to make sure that you say when you're going to come back and that you are going to finish the conversation. That's how you build trust, even if you need space, because it's okay to need space. It's totally okay. But it's not okay to leave without that telling your person that you're going to come back and at what time right? I want to resume this. So that's a really, really important one. So there's various versions of your pre-rupture agreement, but it's obviously varies from couple to couple. But that would be my biggest suggestion is have that conversation ahead of time, get clear on your needs as a couple. And also we all have different patterns and cycles. So you know what your patterns and cycles are. How can you help yourselves in those moments? Talk about it when you're not in an elevated state. That would be the best thing that you could do. Such good advice. Thank you, Allison, for this conversation. I know it was, again, like I said, a bit divergent from some of the stuff that we talk about, but knowing how relationships play into some of these big or small life choices and decisions that happen, and especially because so many people, when they start to look at toxins, are doing so after having children. I see this is where the relationship issues can really come up. So I hope you guys found this helpful. I know I certainly did. Allison, where can people go to learn more from you? Well, thank you so much for having me, Emma. This has been a wicked conversation. I, I hope your audience has found it helpful. You can learn more about all the things that I do at allisonvilla.com. Allison has two L's and an I. Same thing as Villa. <laughs> also has two L's and an I. And I'm on Instagram, Allison, double L, and double underscore Villa. So at Allison, double underscore Villa is my Instagram. I'm there a lot sharing and showing up. And the Couplehood Podcast, you can find that anywhere you listen to your podcast. I'm on there. So you can check me out there. I would love if you guys want to learn more about the relationship seasons, you can go take the free relationship season quiz. And that'll tell you exactly what season you're in. And then also what action item can best support you exactly where you are. Perfect. And is that available on your website? The credit also on the website. Yeah. Awesome. I will drop all of those links in the show notes so that you guys have easy access to it. Take Allison up on her quiz and give her a follow on Instagram to continue the conversation and keep learning tidbits because relationships are a never-ending journey no matter if it's your spouse or anybody else this applies to 
So thank you again, Allison. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Wait, before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you've heard, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a written review. You can do it right from the app. It takes just a sec and really helps me to be able to continue to share this important information with more people. Plus, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks so much and bye for now.